Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. With Connected Fitness and with Journey, our digital platform, we have an ongoing role to coach you, motivate you, entertain you, and we can help you see the progress you're making. So we have a long-term relationship with our customers that's inspirational to our people and another way to really live out our brand. If you've got a great product or service, improving the brand connection with customers is critical and can really drive growth and value. I think there's going to be a trend towards consolidation in the industry. You're not going to want an app for your rower, an app for your treadmill, and an app for your weights. You're going to want to have an app that bridges your entire fitness portfolio. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. With gyms closed and most of the population stuck at home during the pandemic, the home exercise equipment category saw a huge boom in sales. With this came an increased consumer appetite for connectivity and the consolidation of their fitness experience. My guest today is Jim Barr, CEO of the iconic fitness brand Nautilus. While Nautilus is known for fitness equipment bearing that name, other brands under the umbrella are Bowflex and Schwinn. Before joining Nautilus, Jim was group president of Ritchie Brothers, a global leader in sales of used industrial equipment, and he was the chief digital officer at OfficeMax, where he led the transformation of its online and omni-channel experiences. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about how Nautilus managed the huge surge in demand for their products during the pandemic, and how they've used digital technology to transform the customer experience. Let's enter the arena with Jim Barr. I would say thematically in my career over the last 20 years, I love looking at companies that have otherwise great assets, you know, great brands, great products, but maybe miss something, some kind of change in value proposition, maybe some sort of technological disruption. And generally, I like bringing those companies back. There's no shame in missing those. In fact, when I was at Microsoft, we missed Search, for example, and we missed the iPhone and we missed the iPad. So great companies can miss things, but bringing them back is the, is the key what I saw in Nautilus is the same thing, right? We had great brands. We have an omnichannel approach in both retail and direct. We have a, a culture of passionate people for whom fitness is super important. And we had missed connected fitness, but there was still time to get back on track. And so it looked like a great opportunity kind of right up right up my alley where I could inject um, some digital into the products, some digital into the go-to-market and bring on a team that was ready to bring the company forward into a new age. 
You mentioned a strategic plan called uh, North Star. We'll get to that in a minute, but maybe we could just talk a little bit about the industry. You know, there's obviously always a secular trend in fitness, but more importantly, there's a, a secular trend in home fitness. What's the industry like that you guys are playing in and what are the tailwinds behind you? It's really been an amazing couple of years, uh, the last couple of years. So the home fitnesses market has grown probably two to three times by our estimate estimation. So at its peak, it was probably around three times the size pre-pandemic. And you just don't see that very often. Of course, I didn't count on that when I came here, um, but we were able to really accelerate that. So I think the, the principal thing we're seeing is that most of that is permanent, right? Most of that is something that's going to be sustainable. Why? Because it developed over a period of time and it's based on changing habits of consumers that have permanently changed. So for example, 25 to 30% of former gym goers are not planning to go back to the gym ever. So you start with that group and you say, okay, we brought home uh, the idea of convenience and working out at home and also the connectivity of maybe not feeling alone and having variety of ways to work out. And even the group that's returning to the gym, they're working in a hybrid model. Um, it sort of starts with you know your, your work model. And if you're spending part of the time at home and part of the time at work, you need home fitness equipment for the days that you're at home. So we're seeing a lot of that happening. And it's not just people telling us their intent. We're actually seeing it bear out in actual um, habits and behaviors. Pre-pandemic, about 40% of U.S. consumers for whom fitness was important, i.e. spend $500 or more on, on home fitness a year, worked out at home. So that's 40% pre-pandemic. It's now 70%, right around 70%. And it's remained there for now over a year. Despite the fact many more people are going back to the gym, they're still working out at home. Another thing that's happened is, you know, a creation of more customers that we've introduced to our brands over this period of time. We've We've had uh, more than 500,000 new customers since the pandemic began, which is about three times the rate of new customer formation for us. And then they're building out their home gyms in a way they never were before. Usually this business was a one and done business where you would sell one piece of equipment, you ship it to them and you may not have a relationship with, a, uh, with them again. Now we're seeing a doubling of the rebuy rate over the last couple of years where people are buying multiple pieces and they're actually a lot more loyal on their second piece than they ever were before. It could be that you used to buy a treadmill from one brand and maybe you'd buy a bike from the other uh, brand. But now people don't want to have multiple fitness apps. They want to use one that spans the entire portfolio. And so that loyalty is, is really changed. So a lot of things happening there. One thing that I, I just think is great is the strategic plan you alluded to, North Star, the fact that the board and the senior team put it together, and you've actually communicated that to investors. You want to have something people can measure you by, even if it's over a multi-year period. Maybe tell us about that plan and where you stand within the plan, kind of timing-wise, where you are in it. We came here to transform the company. And uh, that digital transformation is embodied in our North Star plan. And in short, it's a digital transformation from a pure equipment company to a provider of winning fitness experiences that span equipment, software, and content. And really, this elevates the user experience from a traditional set of maybe a few basic pre-programmed workouts that used to come on our, our equipment to a variety of different ways to work out that expands and improves over time. For example, you can simulate biking in the Alps or running in Tiananmen Square one day and then 
be coached on a, on a hit training session the next while streaming Netflix. The third day, you could take a spin bike class or a yoga class if you wanted. And so that variety keeps people from getting bored. Uh, so they stay with their routines longer. And we track your progress on and off the machines. And our algorithms suggest workouts just for you based on your personal progress and goals. So, you know, kind of for decades, Nautilus has had this noble mission of helping people live healthier lives through fitness. However, you know, kind of our role was done once we shipped the equipment. And we actually didn't know if we made your life better over time. With Connected Fitness and with Journey, our digital platform, we have an ongoing role to coach you, motivate you, entertain you, and we can help you see the progress you're making. So we have a long-term relationship with our customers that's inspirational to our people and another way to really live out our brand. And from a business model perspective, uh, once at scale, we believe the nature of this model will result not only in more stable and predictable recurring revenue streams, but also elevated profitability as you have this, uh, this stream as an increasing part of the portfolio. And really to, to pivot the company around this notion, we created this North Star plan that has five pillars, you know, one being consumer led, two, uh, the connected membership platform journey, three, focusing decisions based on, you know, sector, brands, geographies, we rationalized SKUs, decided what not to do supply chain as a competitive advantage, and then adding the capabilities from a personnel standpoint to really drive the strategy. And we've just completed year one, and we've made tremendous progress in all these areas. And I'm really proud of uh, all of our people for driving this transformation. It wouldn't have been easy even, even in the kind of the best of times, but to have the last couple of years that we've all been dealing with has been incredible. For a marketer, the new reality you must be like you think you're in heaven, right? You have you a chance to communicate directly with your customers, change on the fly, make their experience better. And I think what popped out to me, Jim, was the growth in digital members, which not only has hit your expectations, but materially exceeded those expectations. Maybe you can wrap some numbers around kind of the digital member growth and how are you kind of tactically achieving those results? What's fueling it? Because obviously you're doing something right. First, it started with pivoting the company around this idea and really focusing on that. But what we've achieved is we went from a just a, a small number and a small base in 2019 where we really only had one piece of our equipment that connected to Journey to what we've done is we've gotten to about 325,000 members in that short period of time, which is about 20x where we started in just the two years. And we're super proud of that in terms of how we've, we've done it. First thing we do is really, we did is really launch and create an installed base of journey-enabled products. So at first we just had one product and over the last 18 to 24 months, we've relaunched virtually every element of our cardio portfolio. So think bikes that have big screens that run journey, treadmills, ellipticals. Then um, we create a variety of workouts on all those machines. So I think that, you know, when people think about connected fitness, sometimes they go to Peloton, which did a great job of bringing the bike experience home and the studio biking experience. But once you get on other modalities like treadmills and and hit trainers and ellipticals, the idea of a class isn't, isn't the same. So we like the fact that we've actually built our, our journey platform on all of the cardio modalities 
and then also um, built it into strength now so that you can use it with our dumbbells and our select tech weights and, and all of those types of things. And then uh, superior experience to traditional training, right? Instead of those pre-programmed uh, workouts, you, you can do something fresh every day and that, that has really driven it. And the final thing is probably reasonable subscription pricing, whereas some of our competitors are in the 40 plus dollar a month range, or you know, which ends up being $400, $500 a year. We price Journey at one forty nine a year or twenty bucks a month. So, as we like to say, we give you more for less. One of the things that I think is great about the company is you kind of have a portfolio approach with different products and different price points and stuff. How do you look at the number of SKUs you're managing, and is there something in there for everybody in terms of products and price points and and brands? The idea of having all the modalities so you can really choose a, a, across cardio and strength and then multiple price points within each of those modalities really allows the consumer to pick wherever they, they would like to be. And if they go at the very low end of our, our portfolio, they might not get a screen and they might use Journey in a what we call a bring your own device where you bring your cell phone or your your tablet to it, you can still experience it that way. But we really like the fact that we've got those multiple price points, lots of ways to choose. We think, you know, uh, some of our other competitors that start with one or two different modalities are going to go that direction because you want to be able to have a, a more fulsome portfolio. And then as we enter a year where the consumer's mindset's probably a bit more on value to be able to have multiple price points, not just, you know, top of the industry, um, flagship products really does help us. So we, we think that choiceful portfolio was an asset when we got here and it's still a, a great asset. Now we have cut some SKUs. I mean, one of the focusing decisions is to say, hey, we we don't need all the SKUs we have. So we've we've cut about 25% of our SKUs, but we still have you know hundreds of SKUs and lots of different products to buy at different price points. And it actually helps us with our inventory in situations like right now where there's a lot of people with a lot of inventory. And if you had them in a whole bunch of different SKUs and not your best-selling SKUs, you'd probably be in trouble. But the, ours are all concentrated in our best-selling SKUs. I know that you did a lot of work in terms of your supply chain, which is absolutely critical. Maybe seems boring to some people, but in this environment, extremely important. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you approached that and what the benefits of making some changes there were. I'd say originally in the pandemic, it was all about making stuff, making more stuff than you've ever made, right? Uh, and getting it across the ocean as quickly as possible because, you know, all of a sudden everybody wanted, with virtually no warning, they wanted five times as many bikes as we, we had ever made. Um, they wanted three times as many dumbbells as we had ever made. We have a handful of suppliers that we have long-term relationships with and work with them to first add lines to their factory of our, of our products, then in some cases, a new factory, and then in other cases, um, a new supplier for the equipment that we were making. So we had a fair amount of agility there in an asset light model that if we had owned the factory ourselves, we wouldn't have been able to increase capacity that quickly. So that was the first part. And then as demand is regulated up from its peak, we brought in the inventory we need. We have uh, warehouses and things like that or that we've optimized. As that's gone down, we just announced we're closing one of our distribution centers as a way to be able to be agile in the supply chain. But we've had to manage it up and then now we're managing it to what I'll call 
the new normal uh, level of demand? And it's a great question because no one who's ever worked in supply chain has ever seen a two to three year period like this in their careers. So they're actually kind of excited by by the fact that they've had these challenges. But I think some days they probably think, all right, that's enough. I just want to get back to some normalcy. Building the right team is one of the hardest things to get right. I asked Jim to talk about the leadership group at Nautilus and how being able to bring a new perspective has really helped position the company to go to the next level. I'd say probably that's the thing I'm most proud of is our people, proud of the strategy, but the people really uh, have made all the difference. So really we we have the people that we started with, uh, probably taken about half of the executive team and changed them over to new capabilities. We brought in new talent in supply chain, as I mentioned, in elevating the human resources experience. You know, everybody's facing the great resignation and uh, the, the, the war for talent. That's super, super important. We brought in a new marketing person to really help us select a new target market and elevate our brand, modernize our Bowflex brand and get it going in, in, in the right direction. We brought in people to help with, uh, with Journey as well. And we did a, an acquisition of a, a tech company along the way called Way that also added talent to the team. So, you know, if you're playing a different sport, if you're going in a different direction, as I told you, these five pillars, you want to bring in the talent that can accomplish that. And we've been really proud of that. And then our board has nearly completely refreshed itself over the last uh, two to three years. We have great experiences that we've added to the board and great diversity of thought and uh, of backgrounds to the board. So we're very proud of what we've done both at the board level and at the leadership level. And then throughout the organization as we've augmented the fantastic skills we already had with new skills for this new um, strategy. Let's talk a little bit more about Way. I think it's such a cool acquisition. You tell me, but it seems like uh, you brought in some software talent there, motion mapping expertise, uh, stuff that would be unheard of, you know, five or 10 years ago in the Nautilus brand. What does that allow you to do in-house and what are you most excited about as, as it relates to the future and what it could all mean for product development and innovation? So the history of the company, of course, is a mechanical engineering history, right? So we started out with mostly mechanical engineers and a, a few software engineers. And as we've recognized that you have to be good both in the hardware and in the software, we brought in more and more software talent. The first reason I was excited about Way is anytime you can bring in a dozen or so really talented software people all at once who know things like AI and machine learning and things like that, you want to just bring them in because who knows what software problems you'll have. And to have a, a stable of people that have solved a lot of these great software problems in the past is fantastic. And then Way specifically is a a leader in motion and vision tracking technologies using cameras, as simple as the ones that are on your phone or your tablet. And they were working with all our competitors when we ended up buying them. That was, um, you, you buy it for offensive reasons, but there were some defensive reasons as well. And really, we are pleased not only to add that engineering team to our digital transformation, but to bring in these proprietary technologies and bring them to market first in our strength portfolio. So today, the journey strength experience, let's say working out with our adjustable dumbbells, is some classes and some instruction on both our weights and 
body weight exercises like yoga and things like that. Soon we'll be adding things like rep counting and then form coaching that will further elevate that journey experience. So just by standing in front of the camera, we'll count your reps. We'll tell you if you're doing it right in a healthy way, if you need to straighten your back, those types of things. So this is, uh, this is really exciting. And of course, Bowflex is known for strength over the years and the combination of our weights and our digital experiences is super exciting. Seems to me it's just another way to, to deepen the moat. We're in a uh, freewheeling year last year where there was just so much money sloshing around and I'm sure a lot of small concepts and fitness being financed with, you know, like uh, limitless dollars and stuff and people throwing marketing money around. Has that all become a little bit more rational? How do you size up all, all this stuff that's getting financed, number one? And then number two, you know, everybody has to make a name for themselves with advertising. How, how has that environment changed? Is it less promotional or what, what's going on there? I think when you look at some of the competition, a lot of that competition is what I call a single modality competitor. So, someone who has a rower or someone who has a strength machine. Um, and that's what they have. And of course, that is the way to start a company. And you have to spend a lot of money to build that brand. Of course, we have a brand that has been known for, uh, for decades for quality, and we need to move it to be even more innovative and a more modern version of itself. But we really like our brands. We haven't had to spend just for brand awareness. And then if you only have the one modality, I think there's going to be a trend towards consolidation in the industry. You're not going to want an app for your rower, an app for your treadmill, and an app for your weights. You're going to want to have an app that bridges your entire fitness um, portfolio. And then in terms of ad spending and promotion, a lot of spending at the uh, peak of the pandemic. And even as late as, call it January of this year, and since about January of this year, we started, everyone started to get back to more of a, a seasonal buy rate for home fitness. People are going outside and things like that. That has come down seasonally, but also come down quite a bit. So you don't see most of us um, advertising as much as we were before. In terms of promotional pricing, I think that's going to be really something interesting to watch. We are running promos around as we normally do around events, let's call it 4th of July or, or Father's Day, and that is driving demand successfully. So we're doing it. Some of our competitors are doing that. It's going to be super interesting once we get to the fitness season to see what happens because our retailers have a lot of inventory, our competitors have a lot of inventory, and so we're all going to be trying to move some inventory. And depending on where the, the consumer's mindset is, with all the macro and all that, we may have to be a bit a, a bit promotional. Now we were last year. Going against that though is uh, some margin enhancers. Like this year, we're not having to buy extra storage to store the the inventory. We've got price concessions from in our supply chain from our main uh, suppliers. We've got line of sight to margin enhancers that should help us improve our margins in the back half of the year. You mentioned earlier, kind of the phase in in 2020 of just like building way more stuff than you've ever built and bringing it over here. And then, you know, 2021 was a rocket and, and there is some inventory built up at retail, which will invariably, you know, burn off. But I think your approach to kind of the, the omni-channel strategy helps you in that regard. Whereas some of those small competitors or competitors in general don't have that omni-channel benefit. Would you say that's accurate? Like, how does that help you? So really our philosophy is, 
You know, we permit the consumer to decide when, where, and how they buy. If that's at retail kicking the tires, that's fantastic. If it's if it's on our website with great product information, that's that's fantastic. One thing I'm really proud of that we've done during the pandemic is we tripled the number of retail doors that we're, we're in. And we're working with new retailers we never worked with before that are kind of outside the typical range of retailers. We're typically sporting goods stores, um, sold fitness equipment. But people like Best Buy, we do a lot of business with. Costco, so new retailers that weren't in our portfolio. We had developed those over years. And then all of a sudden, these became important to those retailers. And then now, as retailers really have a lot of inventory, and they're actually working through their inventory that they bought from us as much as a year ago, they didn't want to be caught without equipment again like they were the year before. So they bought it kind of June of last year and they bought a lot. So they're sitting on that inventory. So that means they're not reordering a lot from us these days. So there's when you have your direct business where you control it yourself. You get a direct access to the customer. You get the email address. You run the advertising and you kind of control your destiny. So kind of working those two things in tandem to have both those choices and, and, and give consumers fantastic choice, but also have the greater number of levers to drive your business has really uh, served us well. That's what manages risk, right? You have the a portfolio of products at different price points. You got different channels, and and that's what can uh, help you avoid some of these bumps in the road that might affect others uh, much more than yourselves. When you sit down with investors, and I've been in a lot of those meetings over the last twenty five years, you know, and you're telling the story and people are quiet. I always think they're like really smart or like they really don't get it at all. I can't, I can't figure out which one it is, but when you sit down with some investors and they kind of don't get the story in your mind, what do you think they miss about the company that they're not like fully understanding? You have to have a long-term view to invest in a transformation. We've always had great long-term investors, but riding the top of the market and then coming back down, I think what I'd like everyone to remember is, you know, the long-term and why we're doing this. And that digital experience combined with the fitness equipment really being a fantastic experience for, for consumers. So every once in a while, I have an investor say, hey, don't you want to go back to the good old days where you could sell, sell equipment at a positive margin and you weren't connected? And I just, I answer that, that those days are gone, right? Um, people are not going to buy that experience anymore the way that, that they were. So elevating that experience, elevating the business model gives us opportunities we've never had before. And of course, you know, if you look at the history of Nautilus, it's, it's basically been a sine wave. Occasionally we get double digit operating income. And then for the next few years after, you know, we crest on some hero product, we're down in the negatives again. And so it's sine wave over time. So if you add an amount of sustainable, repeatable income through the subscription model, that not only elevates the profitability of the company, but it actually makes it a lot more predictable, which is really what investors want. So at this point in the transformation, we're not to the point where journey pays for itself, but we'll get there soon. And when we do, that's when a lot of beautiful things happen. And the other thing I think people don't really think about is, is this is a lot easier from a business model perspective, having the equipment business that we've already done. Because we can build journey on the backs of that equipment business that equipment business actually pays for the cost of customer acquisition when we sell a piece of equipment. 
And then once that's in people's home, we have that that subscription revenue following behind it. So it's uh, it's a really nice model where equipment actually funds Journey and then Journey elevates the company. Throughout the pandemic, the company's ability to adapt has seen Nautilus fully embrace their customers' need for convenience and a digital, fully integrated home exercise experience. And with highly strategic planning, Nautilus has been able to pivot its focus towards a digital strategy that will carry it well into the future. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to Jim for being on the show today. It was great to talk to him about his exciting tenure as CEO of Nautilus and certainly current trends in the fitness industry. Digital demand for connectivity is one of them, and it's here to stay. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.